Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Our dear friend Ratsik Najab. Yep. Up in Malaysia. Uh, he appeared in court on Monday to begin hearings uh, to try to set aside his conviction on corruption charges in the uh, cases linked to the uh, 1MDB scandal. Seven counts he's already been found guilty of. Seven <laughs> counts of criminal <laughs> breach of trust, money laundering, and abuse of power. Only sentenced to jail for 12 years and a $50 million fine. So, Only. Yeah. But we'll see what happens with that court case. In the meantime, we have someone who is keenly... Uh, 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 able to discuss this, a, an award-winning journalist, someone who was uh, nominated for a Pulitzer Prize on this very topic. Yeah. Joining us now, Tom Wright, uh, award-winning New York Times investigative journalist, the co-author of the book on the 1MDB scandal called The Billion Dollar Whale. Tom, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Hey, Glenn. Great to be here. Yeah, and so what do you make of? I mean, we we knew this appeal was coming uh, from uh, in Malaysia. What do you make of what you saw this week, in particular, as it relates to uh, the Najib uh, uh, trial, asking them to set aside this verdict? Well, it's all nonsense. I mean, sitting here in Singapore, I'm sure you're scratching your heads trying to wonder what's going on in this in this case. I mean, the fact that the guy was found guilty and sentenced, as you said, to 12 years in jail, but then he's allowed to sort of walk around, mm. campaign in by-elections and, and act like a, a free citizen as if, he's, as if he's a politician who's allowed to, who hasn't been found guilty and sentenced to 12 years in jail. I mean, he is a convicted felon. Um, and I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't even understand how he's allowed to, to, uh, to walk around as he does. Uh, it's very strange to me. Is that just part of the, is that part of the uh, judicial process in Malaysia that might differ from other places? Um, yeah, but I don't know why. I mean, in every every country, you should be, you know, every democracy, you should be presumed innocent until found guilty. But he was found guilty. And, and not just that, he was sentenced. Uh, so he's out on appeal. We shouldn't forget. Right. Um, so that is not that's, you know, the due process has, has, has run its course in Malaysia and he was found guilty. So um, while while his appeal, while he's waiting for his appeal, I'm not quite sure why he's able to, to, to act as he does, but but he does, and that's that's where we are. Yeah. Hey, Tom, Neil Humphreys here. I mean, just to recap briefly, I mean, most people are familiar with the tale. 1MDB raised billions. It was ostensibly for fund development projects in Malaysia, uh, but it was siphoned off elsewhere. Figures vary, but around $4.5 billion is the figure that's often mentioned, was siphoned off into offshore bank accounts. As you correctly said, he's found guilty of, of several counts. What's going to happen here, Tom? Is he seriously got a chance of getting off? Does he have to give up Joe Lowe? I mean, what, what, what has to happen here? What, 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 what's the likely outcome? Well, he doesn't know where Jolo is, he, and I don't think he has much contact with him, although I may be wrong. I mean, Jolo is in China, protected by the Chinese government for some very complicated reasons, but that all gets back to the very corrupt East Coast Rail project that, that Najib, when he was in power, was pushing through, and that was going to be another way to steal money and, and fill the holes at 1MDB. And so Jolo, Jolo knows a lot about Chinese corruption, and so that's why he's, he's sort of protected and living in China. Um, I don't think that uh, Najib will get off. I mean, that's my that's my feeling. I, I mean, the, the, the judicial process ran its course there. I mean, the, he still has his appeal. I mean, it's it's possible that he could get out on appeal, but I just don't think it's very likely. 
Uh, Tom, you have uh, talked so much about this story, and, and uh, it, it is not to overshadow your career as an investigative journalist for the New York Times and Indonesia and around Asia. You have had a very rich uh, career outside of 1MDB. This is just the most, uh, uh, I guess, high, high, latest high-profile uh, thing that you have uh, have worked on. When you look around Asia and you look around some of the, the corruption that we saw with 1MDB, for example, what do you feel is the state of – of, uh, of journalism, of having investigative reports like this come to light in a region where there is definitely a lot, many more stories to be told like 1MDB. There's a lot more stories to be told. I mean, I set up a company um, called Project Brazen with uh, Bradley Hope, who's the co-author of Billion Dollar Whale. We've just set that company up to specifically look for stories and to create stories like this for podcasts, for books, and then, and then, possibly to turn them into films and TV shows. Um, and, and one we're working on now is what's called the Fat Leonard scandal. That's the, the story about the, uh, a, a Malaysian, also from Penang, uh, Leonard Glenn Francis, who corrupted the uh, U.S. Navy. So there are so many stories like this. And partly there are so many stories like this because there's so much money around. You know, interest rates have been so low globally for so long um, that there's just so much capital washing around. And in the 0.01%, the super elite of the world, um, you know, there's there's a lot of reason to do wrong because mm. if you do wrong, you can become wealthy for generations at the moment. And we're seeing it over and over again with, you know, wire card scandal, scandals with Credit Suisse in various places, um, Deutsche Bank in various places. This is this is ongoing. It's staggering, Tom. It really is. I mean, several years ago, I wrote a book on uh, match fixing. Uh, that was a novel, but it now looks twee and quaint compared to the figures, the real figures that your good self and others have, have unearthed in, in books like the, the Billion Dollar Whale, which, of course, I believe is now being turned into a, a movie, isn't it? it? It's in the works, Billion Dollar Whale. I mean, what, what's happening with that? Where, where are you at with that? And, and how do you feel about this? Because the Billion Dollar Whale thing, when you started out, yes, it was a big scandal. But could you have anticipated that it would take on the, the global dimensions that it has? It's, it's just staggering, the reach of that story. It is staggering. You're right. Because, you know, it was a Malaysian story originally. Yeah. And, and, you know, the book is, is really finding a readership in places like the Midwest and America and in some very random places where you wouldn't expect someone to read a basically a finance book. And, a, and of course, the reason that they do, people do pick it up outside of the finance readership is because it involves Leonardo DiCaprio, obviously yeah. Jolo <laughs> dated Miranda Kerr. Um, you know, he corrupted Goldman Sachs. You know, a partner from Goldman Sachs is probably going to go to jail over this. The first ever Goldman partner to go to jail hasn't been sentenced yet. He's pleaded mm. guilty. So it has this kind of very wide reaching scope to, from Hollywood to Wall Street and beyond. And so that's I think that's the reason that it got so uh, uh, picked up by, by readers around the world. Um, yes, we're making it into a film uh, with SK Global, which is a company that's uh, uh, that made crazy rich Asians. Mm. So we think that's a, a good fit because it, if you think about it, it's a little bit in the same uh, same genre. It's set in Asia. It involves very, very, very wealthy people and mm. they're going to do a great job with it. So so they're, they're producing it right now. One thing I've always wanted to ask, Tom, is the wolf on Wall Street. You mentioned Wall Street there. We know now it was financed partially by uh, 1MDB money. It almost looks now as if they were rubbing people's noses in it because it's, it's, a, it's a movie about this. It's a movie about corruption. It's a movie about siphoning funds from, from point A to point B. It's a movie about a ripoff. So was it, it, you know, you've dealt with these people, you've researched the book. 
What is your thought on the on the Wolf of Wall Street? Was it just naivety? Was it arrogance? Was it indifference? Because to me, it just seems staggering to literally make a movie about corruption with corrupt money. You literally couldn't make this up, could you? <laughs> I don't think I don't think Jolo's smart enough. I mean, he's really? a very smart guy, but I don't think he's, don't think he's sort of uh, well-read or intelligent enough on a cultural level to have thought, I'm going to be meta here. I'm going <laughs> to exactly. approach Leonardo DiCaprio with stolen money to create a meta moment. I don't think that was what happened. He got to know DiCaprio. Um, through the party scene, he'd stolen money. He started to throw big parties in New York and elsewhere. And, and DiCaprio, you know, is, loves partying and would turn up and they got to know each other. And I think he said, let's make a, a, a movie. We'll fund, you know, they were, have, they were having trouble finding financing for The Wolf of Wall Street because mm-hmm. it's an R-rated movie and, and the big studios see that as risky. So DiCaprio loved, you know, the fact that they were getting the money. And he has a production studio himself and mm-hmm. Jolo was funding all of this and he was funding the party. And then when, when DiCaprio first met Jolo, he, he had this series of roles of playing fraudsters. You know, mm. he'd been in Catch Me If You Can. He played uh, The Great Gatsby. He played Jay Gatsby. And then, and then he was going on to play Jordan Belfort, the fraudster in The Wolf of Wall Street. And I think, you know, Jolo was a great partner. He's a character actor, and he was able to sort of get to know this guy. And, you know, there's no evidence that he knew uh, Jolo was a fraudster at the time. Mm. But I think, I think Caprio likes hanging out in those kind of circles. And, and and the details are so juicy, Glenn. Mm. I mean, didn't Joe Lowe buy him Marlon Brando's Oscar the, as well? Was that one of the things I read about? Just the staggering board. details, right? Yeah, he bought him, he bought as a present when he was trying to get to know DiCaprio, they bought him Marlon Brando's Oscar for On the Waterfront. I think it's a 1950s <laughs> It's actually illegal. It's not illegal, but it's against Oscar yeah, uh, right. laws. Yeah. Yeah. to buy Oscar statuettes. But I think this one had... Um, they also were spending a lot of money on, uh, you know, movie posters that cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and <laughs> these kind of things. They gave... They gave they gave, um, they gave Martin Scorsese on his 60th birthday a uh, a Polish film poster of Cabaret and things like this. So they were, they were constantly <laughs> buying expensive things. And we're talking about, uh, to Tom Wright, the award-winning New York Times investigative journalist, to co-wrote... The Billion Dollar Whale also uh, now has started Project Brazen uh, based here in Singapore. You, you decided to move uh, your family here to Singapore last year. And what was behind that decision? You'd spent, of course, many years in Indonesia and, and other places around the world. Uh, why Singapore for you at this point in time? Basically, you know, I'd written a fair amount about uh, corporate malfeasance and, and, and corruption involving Chinese officials. And, uh, you know, I think what, what's going on in China right now with the national security law is is not great for people who want to write uh, the truth and people who want to operate in a in a free uh, environment. And so I decided to, not, I wanted to leave Hong Kong um, and move my family somewhere else. Yeah, wonderful. And what are the issues going forward that you see yourself focusing on? I mean, as you said at the start, there's plenty to choose from. But what, what are the sort of investigative issues that you think are going to really come to the fore in the next few years? Um, I think, you know, you're seeing, like we mentioned earlier, we're seeing a lot of corporate scandals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's obviously Wirecard is a massive one um, that was global. Um, there's there's a lot of financial shenanigans that you're seeing now uh, blowing up that's, that's really hurt Credit Suisse. Um, a couple of different scandals that have hurt Credit Suisse recently and Nomura. Um, those kind of things, I think, are going to happen again and again because, um there's a lot of financial wealth getting generated. You know, we're, uh, Project Brazen, we're planning a, a series of stories on billionaires, multi-billionaires you've never heard of, who are, you know, people who do like 
you know, poker players who became multi-billionaires by using their, their risk skills in financial markets. And there are a lot of people doing that. Um, I'm not even sure that uh, Jeff Bezos is the uh, richest man in the world. You know, mm. I think there are probably people you've never heard of who are the richest people mm. in the world. So we're going to dig into all that kind of thing. And I think there's a, that's a fascinating world. Tom, I do wonder sometimes there's a fear that the, the figures are so vast and so current and so many that there's a real risk of becoming almost, and we shouldn't, becoming desensitized to it all. I'll give you a good example. When the Nick Leeson scandal broke in Singapore, the rogue trader thing in the 90s, I remember going to the cinema to see the movie in Singapore, and there's this big scene where he talks in the mirror and he says, it's, it's Ewan McGregor, and he says, I, Nick Leeson, has lost £50 million in one day. And the audience gasped, right, because this was 1998-9. They actually gasped the figures now make 50 million look like something falling out of a pocket yeah. i mean they're just we're talking billions and billions and billions so that is my fear tom that they're so often these stories they're so frequent that there's almost an element i worry that the public gets jaded desensitized and then they get glossed over do you know what i mean i think that's 100 percent right yeah the numbers don't make much sense to to us anymore they're so they're so huge and i think i think there's two different there's there's two different societies there's the normal society of people who pay taxes and have a job and they get their normal revenue and they have to fight for it and then there's a world of people you know the creamy layer you might refer mm. to them as who are who are operating in a world where there's just a lot a lot of money and um and they don't think anything of spending you know millions of dollars on things you know um, yeah i heard a story today about a guy who's who took a, a Boeing 747, private, privately fitted out with all business class seats and is flying around the world during COVID and having parties in you know, various places, Bangkok and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, it wasn't Neil Humphreys. I was told Glenn it to wasn't stop Neil doing Humphreys. this. I mean, Glenn, for heaven's sake, show some decorum. It's tough times for people. Yeah, that, that's, that's one problem I will never have, Tom. I'll be honest with you on that. We're talking to Tom Wright, investigative journalist, co-founder of Project Brazen. And, and Tom, uh, one of, another project that we're going to be working on, you and I will be working on together next week on the 15th. Uh, you will be, uh, we will be in conversation for some students, uh, the uh, XCL, XCL Academy uh, dialogues which are starting up next week. And I know this is one thing that you feel passionate about, which is talking to students and, and preparing the next generation of, of young journalists to come out. Tell us a little bit about um, what you hope to achieve in, in talking to the students and what you hope that will be present for them as a result of your experiences. Yeah, I think the XCL dialogues are an exciting thing. It's a, it's an opportunity to talk to you know middle and high school kids who might want to get involved in journalism but don't know how to start and um, and, and and don't really know what it is. And um, one of the problems that journalism faces is that you know for the smart for smart kids coming out of college, uh, it may not look like the most lucrative career path, um, but it's an incredibly uh, rewarding profession. And we have to keep we have to make sure that people want to continue doing it um, and that they, they, they get, we get this fire in the young generation to become, to become reporters and journalists. Because without that, what, what is society really? Without people asking difficult questions and, you know, it, it's never going to be perfect, right? There's, uh, I think there's probably, you know, 1% of crimes probably get a light shone, shone on them or something very, very small like that. But, you know, without, without 
people becoming journalists, then then things will be even worse. And you see that in places where there isn't a free press, right? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna be doing that in conjunction with uh, XCL Education at up at the Gems uh, International School up in Ishun Gems World Academy. And and I have to say, Tom, I've been privy to see some of the questions that the student. Uh, budding student journalists have already got lined up for you. I'm not going to share them with you because uh, in in true journalistic fashion, we're not going to give you a list of questions in advance. But I got to say, some of the questions that I've seen already are amazing from these kids that are juniors and seniors, you know, third and fourth year high school students. You're going to be, I think you're going to be blown away by the level of the depth of thought from some of these questions. Well, as long as no one asks me to solve seventh grade math problems. <laughs> indeed, indeed. There's only one question that's on everybody's mind, Tom. You've half answered it. Where's Joe Lowe? That's, that's all that's I want to Joe, know. Joe, He's we, in we, China. We were, our last information is a bit dated. It's uh, from late 2019. He was in Macau uh, right. back then. Um, I think he's got. I think he's not got that much freedom of movement. But I'd say he's in the in the in this Chinese. Uh, Chinese mainland or a Chinese territory of some kind. And, and as far as you understand it, as long as he does whatever he agreed to do with the authorities, he'll be fine. He'll just stay there. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but uh, I'd say that, you know, there's, there's a number of complicated reasons why why he's in China. One is to do with the, the Belt and Road corruption. The other one is to do with, um, uh, you know, he, he may be seen as a quite a useful pawn. I mean, there's a guy living in, in, in the U.S. called Guo Wenggui, Who's a mm-hmm. Chinese billionaire who, who's, who who left and is living in, in in the U.S. and China wants him back um, to face trial for corruption, mm-hmm. and the U.S. is not sending him because there's no extradition treaty between the two countries. And so Joe Lo is somebody who's been charged in the U.S. and is wanted in the U.S. and, and is in China. So maybe from China's point of view, they see that that as a analogous situation. Right? right. There's a there's a billionaire they want, and Joe Lo is a billionaire that, that the U.S. wants. On that point, it just occurred to me briefly. Um, you know, a few years ago, I wrote a novel, and it's only a novel, and I, I have to be careful what I say here, but I, I was taken to lunch by someone who who warned me that some of the characters in my book, were billionaire-type characters in my book, were a little bit too close to home for certain people's liking. This is a true story, and I was warned <laughs> not to do it again. It didn't deter me, but it, it, that actually happened. This must be a very real issue for you, Tom. I'm guessing, in this part of the world, you're dealing with corruption at a very high level of, of, a, of elitist society, dealing with billionaires. Is this a concern for you? Uh, you know, fear or, you know, do you get threatened or warned? Is this something you have to think about? No, we don't really get threatened. We're, the thing is, we don't have an agenda. We're not trying to extort or get or, or paint anyone in a bad light if they haven't done anything wrong. You know, we just come at it very clean. Uh, we're just trying to show what happened. Um, we ask questions, no surprises to anyone who we interview, uh, and we give we give everyone the, the chance to respond. And that's something that I learned at you know two decades at the Wall Street Journal because mm. they have very very high standards of uh, of what gets into print, right? Um, and so you just don't want to be seen as as somebody who's got some kind of agenda that's that's personal or you know you, you're trying to get somebody. You never go into a story thinking that person's guilty or I want to get that person. It's it's all about what happened. How do we lay bare what happened? Um, so, you know, when, when we first started reporting on, on 1MDB, you know, you get pushback from a lots, of, lots of places that are involved. But ultimately, you keep a good relationship with them through the process, too. 
Um, you know, I don't think I'm Jolo's my biggest fan, but you know, who cares, right? <laughs> exactly. All right, Tom Wright, we're going to leave it there. Award-winning journalist, uh, the founder uh, of Project Brazen. Looking forward to seeing you next week on the 15th at the XCL inaugural XCL Dialogues. Uh, really appreciate your time today and looking forward to having you on the show again and hopefully as more news breaks about uh, this scandal and others that you're working on at Project Brazen. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.